Live from the offices of Great River Investments in the beautiful city of Burlington, Iowa, this is the Marvin Knows Finances Show. I am your host, Marvin Thompson, your certified financial planner, and joining me today is Joe Jolin of Jolin Media in West Burlington, Iowa, Todd Sladke, CPA, and my partner, Great River Investments, and our special guest today, Mio Santiago, attorney at Kozlowski Law Group in Burlington, Iowa. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen in, and for all you listeners on Google Podcasts and Spotify, don't forget to click the subscribe button. If you prefer to see us, how we make this show come together, please check out our YouTube channel, Marvin Knows Finances, and click subscribe there as well. Just like the last and every time, I have to take care of a little business before we get moving too far forward to please my compliance department. Marvin Thompson is an investment advisor representative and a registered representative with Brokers Financial member SIPC. Opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers Financial. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Great River Investments LLC does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstances. Diversification does not guarantee a profit or protect against loss in a declining market. It is a method used to help manage investment risk. Mutual funds and exchange-traded funds are sold by prospectus. Please consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. This prospectus, which contains this and other information about the investment company, can be obtained from the fund company or your financial professional. Please be sure to read the prospectus carefully before deciding whether to invest. So, we added a couple of extra disclaimers this week because of the question of the week. So, the question of the week is, should I invest in mutual funds or just do individual stocks? So, I had a client ask me the other day why we don't recommend individual stocks. And she had a very specific example. She said, well, my friend's investment advisor said I should be investing in the new Donald Trump media company. And they made a bunch of money off of that. And I said, well, you know, we do not recommend individual stocks in our firm. And uh, the answer for that is very simple. Um, there's no diversification when you're investing in individual stocks. Um, it's the whole put all your eggs in one basket. So um, granted, we've all heard stories about hitting the big one, kind of like going to the casino and you hear about the person hitting the jackpot when it comes to an individual stock. But literally over time, we have found that a diversified portfolio invested in mutual funds or exchange-traded funds is really a better way to go. Um, mutual funds and exchange-traded funds have many different stocks under or investment options under one investment. And like I said, we just feel that's the best way to go. Um, there are plenty of programs out there now that if you want to play with some individual stocks, by all means, you can do it right on your phone. So it's um, in our firm, we tend to stick with the more broad diversified assets as opposed to doing individual stocks. But please don't let that uh, persuade you from trying it on your own if you choose to. So, so today, our topic of the week is elder law and care. And we've asked Mio Santiago from the Kozlowski Law Group to join us. So Mio, we're going to start out with some background information on you and your firm, please. Sure. My name is Mio Santiago. I'm an attorney with the Kozlowski Law Group. Uh, we have locations here in Burlington and in Fort Madison. Uh, we're a full-service law firm here in Southeast Iowa. I practice primarily in the areas of estate planning, uh, elder law, probate, and real estate. Um, we've, we've been here, uh, or I've been here in Southeast Iowa for 15 years now as a practicing attorney. Perfect. How do they uh, how do they get a hold of your law firm? Uh, our phone number is 319-753-6201, uh, and our web address is www, I'll spell it out, K-O-Z-L-A-W-L-L-C.com. That's causelawllc.com. Perfect. All right, so let's talk about some very basic stuff, all right? Um, on your website, <coughs> elder law, 
and care sure. is listed as one of the uh, as one of your uh, things that you guys offer services mm-hmm. for. Um, can you define what elder law is, please? Um, sure. As we were kind of talking um, prior to coming live, uh, elder law isn't necessarily one particular type of law. Um, it, it it encompasses a lot of different areas of law and principles. Um, <clears throat> broadly speaking, it's elder law is you know as you could tell by the definition, uh, the type of law that our aging population needs, and so that could range anywhere and include estate planning. Um, it could include Medicaid planning. It could include um, uh, elder abuse type cases, um, guardianships and conservatorships. Um, so, you know, anything, any types of, or all the types of issues that, that come up as, a, as you become older in life. Gotcha. So that's really my next question is when, when is this needed? I mean, honestly, you know, we deal with a wide range of clientele's ages and needs and so forth. Sure. Um, we're always happy to recommend a work to your law firm, mm-hmm. and we've done so in the past, and specifically with a, a Medicaid, potential Medicaid type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so when is it needed? I mean, when should people really be considering this? When mom, mom or dad starts uh, maybe having some memory issues or way before then? Right. Uh, you know, as we discussed in, in a previous podcast, you know, they, they should be, it should just be kind of part of a normal check-in with their estate plan. Uh, um, but, you know, the, how I typically see people or when I t- typically see people, um, uh, a few different scenarios arise. Um Child comes in with mom and dad saying, uh, dad's going to be going to the nursing home. How do we qualify dad without having to spend all of my parents' money that they've worked their entire lives for? You, you know, and that's uh, what I call consider crisis planning for a Medicaid standpoint. Um, then there's the proactive Medicaid planning where we look and see how we can structure assets and, and put together a gifting plan. Um, maybe it might involve some irrevocable trust to, again, you know, hedge our bets um, to, to make it past. There's a there's a 60-month or five-year look-back period um, that Medicaid looks at, that any transfers during that time are, are presumed only for the purpose of not having to pay for, for your care. Okay, so you're saying um, family members will come in with their parents or whatever. Right. And- Obviously, you're talking about a wide range of issues, but the thing that I'm always concerned about is, you know, as you get to a certain age in life, um, I don't know if you become more trusting or you're just not really thinking clearly on certain things, but how do you use this particular um, form of law to protect uh, people from scammers? Big, Mm -hmm. Big thing nowadays. Yeah. And what about family members who have bad intentions? I mean, what if I'm bringing my parents in with a sole purpose of screwing my two brothers out of stuff. Right. You know? Well, you, you know, and... Um, I'm not, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Add that to the disclaimer. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, it's... There's no 100% fail-safe way to do it, assuming that the people still want to have some control. Sure. You know, you could definitely uh, put put a guard or conservatorship in place to oversee your finances and you wouldn't have, you know, we could 
avoid avoid any of your what does that mean a conservatorship yeah a conservatorship is a court supervised process where um the court has determined that your decision making capacity is so diminished as far as your finances that you're not able to take care of your finances on your own can you name your own conservator or is it a court appointed conservator it's a court appointed conservator but as um you are you have the ability to uh, recommend a conservator, but that's typically as part of a power of attorney. Okay. Uh, you know, while you were competent to say, "Here's who I would recommend should a conservatorship be necessary." Okay. Um, I've I've actually seen conservatorships in place before mm-hmm. um, with past clients, and the conservator had to go before the judge. Yeah. Um, I think it was annually. And literally explain, you know, if there was any questions about what's going on. I mean, it was a very simple process. The judge, as long as it was in the client's best interest, everything mm-hmm. was good. But um, well, think you, think Britney Spears. Oh, yeah, that's been in the news lately. That yeah, you know, that's a good one. She's a young person. You know, um, her 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 father, you know, had a conservatorship, and it, you know, look at the the mess that that caused. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that that is one way. Uh, it's through a conservatorship. Um, that's pretty, you know, pretty heavy handed because yep. the, then the person loses a lot of their ability to, to make really, any decisions. So they don't have any control once conservatives. Right. Right. Uh, you know, if they had a, a, a power of attorney, a financial power of attorney, you could revoke that at any time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you being the one that's under the, the, the under the power of attorney. Uh, but with a conservatorship, it, you know, everything needs to be approved by the court. It, it's, it's, it's almost like, probate for the living gotcha. because the, the court oversees it. It's a public record um, and that sort of thing. Okay. One of the things that Todd and I uncover <clears throat> quite a bit is the idea that long-term care insurance is so expensive nowadays. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's probably one of the single greatest risk factors to destroying somebody's lifetime of work. Absolutely. Because if you go into a nursing facility and stuff like that, the costs are just getting astronomical. Mm-hmm. And of course, it also depends on the level of care that you need. Right. So... How do you work with your clientele on protecting from long-term care expenses, and what are some of the tools you might use for that? Sure. Um, a little background and, and to kind of support what you just said, uh, Genworth Company puts out a report, and they said about 75% of the population will need some sort of skilled care or assisted living during their lifetime. Here in Iowa... To, to give uh, a little bit of perspective, uh, the average nursing home uh, stay is about 7500 a month. Okay. So, you know, do the math, and, and you can see how a modest, um, you know, savings and, and assets could be depleted pretty quickly. So you're, uh, you're talking $90,000 a year pretty, pretty quick. Right. Okay. You know, so some ways to accomplish that, to kind of mitigate that, I think one of the easiest is the long-term care insurance. Mm-hmm. Get it while you're healthy, and, and I don't know how, how do you long. feel about that? Because when we talk to clients about it, I mean, I, I warn them up front. There's a sticker shock, <clears throat> you know, to owning long-term care insurance. Right. But even when you compare it, you know, like if an annual premium for a couple is four to $5,000 a year, and you compare it to $7,500 a month cost, they right. still seem to be like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So... I mean, how I walk my clients through it is we'll do the math. You know, we, we walk them through the math and say, okay, you've got X amount in retirement. You're paying $90,000 a year. 
how long do you have until that's all gone? Mm-hmm. How important is you to is, is it to you to be able to pass some of that along to your children or loved ones? Yeah. Or, the, or the surviving spouse. Or, or the, the surviving spouse at home. Yeah. So, um, you know, without getting too deep into the weeds, there is some set-asides for a survivor, for a, a spouse that's not in the nursing home. And, and I don't know how deep in the weeds we want to get into this. I will stay pretty high level. Yeah. This, this you, know, you know, but there is some planning. Um, you know, that's how I walk my clients through. Okay. It's you, you spend your entire life, you know, busting your butt to, to save what you've saved. And, you know, do you want that to have to go to, to pay for your, for your nursing home stay? Mm-hmm. Because odds are you're going to be in a nursing home. Gotcha. So outside of long-term care insurance, what other tools? Um, I know you and I have talked a little bit about using trusts. Yeah. Stuff like that. Right. Um, so there is, um, you know, gifting as a component mm-hmm. to, to start to be able to gift um, to whom you want to go to. The problem is, as I kind of touched on earlier, there's the, the five-year look-back period, um, and you'll be assessed a penalty for, you know, any gifts that you that you give during the f- five years preceding you entering into the nursing home. Okay, so can I ask you a question about that really quick? Yeah. I think, and I might be wrong on this too, but I don't think I am. Um, there's kind of a misconception that if you gift somebody something, and then you go into a nursing facility in five years, they do the look-back on it, and they find this gift that they want the gift back from the family members. That's not how that works, right? No. It's basically the value of the gift, right? whatever you would be receiving. Right. So, so, so if yeah. I, if you're my son and I give you $15,000 this year, three years from now I'm in the nursing facility, they don't go back to the son and say, give me the $15,000. No, back. basically what they'll do, there's a, a penalty um, divisor, as they call it. They'll take the value of the gift, divide it by 7500 and so in that instance, uh, it would be, you know, 15,000 divided by 7,500 would be two. So you'd be disqualified from being eligible for Medicaid, uh, at least a nursing home component for two months. Two months. Yeah. Okay. So they, they, they run a calculation like that. Any idea where that number comes from? Is that just the government it, randomly picking an arbitrary number? It, it's, uh, it, it somewhat equates to the cost of monthly nursing home stay. Is it different per state? It is. It is. Okay. Yeah. So with, with Medicaid, um, and I know we've jumped straight on into Medicaid uh, discussion, it's it's a federal program that it's administered by, by each state individually. Uh, the states can make laws that differ from the federal uh, regulations. It can't be more stringent, but it can be more lenient. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so gifting, you know, gifting is another Potent, uh, another technique that we can look into, but we also want to plan for that penalty period. Uh, so, so gifting or uh, I, I don't recommend gifting too much um, because again, there, there's so many factors um, as to who you're gifting to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as we spoke in, in the previous podcast, you know, what are the ages of the people that you're gifting to? Substance abuse problems, gambling problems, special needs. You know, are they ready for the money right now? So gifting, you lose all control with that, and it's theirs. Sure. If if we do it through uh, uh, an irrevocable trust, um, it, it gives you it gives you the ability to appoint trustees and to be able to manage you know how they get that gotcha. a little bit more. Explain the concept of preserving 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 dignity for mm-hmm. clients. You know, it was one of the things I put on my list. Sure. 
Um, what does that mean when it says, you know, we're going to help you preserve dignity <coughs> in this case? Uh, um, it gives you the opportunity while you're still able to say how you want your end of life to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's touched upon by the living will mm-hmm. and, and the power of attorney. There are, um, it, you could set forth how, how you want your, your funeral to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, do I want everyone to wear name tags so everyone knows who each other is so they don't have to have that awkward moment, oh, who are you? And you can just focus on me, talk about me. Um, <laughs> you know, or if you want uh, to be buried in a particular cemetery or, you know, what do you want to be, what do you want to wear? What music do you want? Um, you know, those are parts of thing, or things that you can accomplish through this mm-hmm. as well. So back on the gifting thing real quick, um, a client came in the office this week wanted to give monies to her kids. Mm-hmm. And I asked her two questions. I'm like, have you prepaid your funeral? And do you have long-term care insurance in place? The answer was yes to both of them. At that point, I said, let's go ahead and gift. Okay. Yeah. And, and you beat me to it. That was going to be the other uh, component that, that you could invest in is prepaid burial. I think prepaid burial is a fantastic idea. Yeah. I mean, it's just, like you said, the, the, the dignity part of this and keeping control of what you want and exactly how you want. Because, um, you know, son or daughter goes into the funeral home and they're all emotional. And next thing you know, you're being buried in a gold casket. So, yeah, which may be what you wanted. But, you know, hey, you get to say if, yep. you, if you've done it, you get to say what happens. Yep. So um, I went on to Google and I came up with a, a list of questions here that I wanted to run okay. by you here. OK, so I don't get to take credit for these, unfortunately. But uh, the first one is, is, can my loved ones sign legal documents if they have been diagnosed with dementia? If they have legal capacity, then then yes. And what what does legal capacity mean? That's exactly right. Um, legal capacity is do they have an understanding of what their um, what they own, you know, what their finances are like? Are they able to manage their finances on their own? Uh, do they know who um, who their loved ones are? Do they know the the you know who their children are and and where they're so. Yes and no. Um, you know, just because you have dementia doesn't necessarily disqualify you. So, I mean, it's it's a massive gray area. But, you know, I would say if you're able to do that, you're probably better off doing a power of attorney and letting someone else do it. Gotcha. Um, in a previous podcast, we talked about, you know, four or five core planning documents. But would you mind reviewing those again for everybody? Sure. Uh, I, I break them up into three pillars. Uh, the, the first one is what happens to your stuff when you die. And that's what most people think about as a will or, or a trust. Um, the second are powers of attorney for your financial decisions. Who can make financial decisions on your behalf? You would appoint an agent to do that. And then the third one uh, kind of has two components, the living will, uh, which you basically state you value the quality of life. You don't want to be kept alive if there's no likelihood that you're going to recover. Uh, and that gives directions to the loved ones that you leave behind. Um, and, and the second part of that that pillar is uh, a medical power of attorney who could make medical decisions on your behalf when you're unable to. Beautiful. Um, we might have already answered this question, but what do you think the single greatest threat to the financial future of people is? You know, nursing home care and, nursing home. and, and paying for it. Yeah. Um, totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. Um, are there attorneys who specialize in elder law? And the reason I ask this question is, you know, when you Google search something like elder law, first 10 things that come up are ads uh-huh. for attorneys, you know, 
So is there anything that our listeners should be aware of when they're talking to an attorney? Um, are there law firms who only specialize in this? Are they trustworthy? Um, those are the types of things I really want my people to understand sure. and listen to. You know, there are, um, in the state of Iowa, we can't classify ourselves as a specialist in any one particular area. There isn't a certification process to be, uh, at least in Iowa, an elder law attorney or a criminal law attorney or, or whatever. But you could, you could look at their website. You can see um, you, you know what sorts of topics they're covering. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there are certain firms that that's all of all they do is elder law and estate planning. They're totally trustworthy. They're going to be trusted 100%. It depends on the firm, but yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, uh, they've, you know, I would look at their website and, and talk to them and, and figure out how they develop their expertise, how long they've been doing it, what, you know, what's their uh, methodology, and you, you'll kind of get a good idea at that okay. point. Um, are there any dementia-specific provisions for a power of attorney that should be added or could be added? Um, not necessarily. Um, for powers of attorney, I think the big decision is uh, they decide, at least for the financial power of attorney, they, they have to decide if they want it effective immediately. Meaning, you know, if I appoint you as my agent under a power of attorney, if we make it effective immediately, once it's signed, you could take a copy of that to my bank and say, hey, I'm, I'm Mio's agent under this power of attorney. I want, you know, access to his records or he wanted me to pay this or pull this money out uh, versus uh, when, uh, you know, some triggering event, whether it's, you know, your physician certifies that you're unable to make these decisions on your own, then then it would trigger. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's why there's not necessarily a dementia component. Okay. But if you do it uh, if you if you trigger it when your physician makes that determination then it, it'll be up to he or she okay sounds good the the next question i wrote it down and i'm kind of confused by my own question here so i apologize if this doesn't make sense but it says do my documents ladder successors or do they make use of a co-agent sure um so yeah, I'm glad the attorney understood that yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you're well thank you mr google for <laughs> yeah. your question um so what, what, what that's getting at, at least how I'm, I'm taking that, is does it make more sense to set a tiered structure of, let's say, an executor? For example, okay. I, want, I, I want Jim to be my number one executor. If he's unwilling or unable, then I want Bill. If he's unwilling or unable, then I want Betty. Okay? So each one of those people... You know, so whoever I said first, Bill, I don't remember, you know, the primary executor, if he's unwilling or unable to act in that capacity, then it would go down to the successor executor gotcha. and so on and so forth. With exactly a, a, <laughs> with a co-trustee or a co-executor, they both have equal powers at the same time. Um, and so while they're both living or while they both uh, want to act in that capacity, they have equal say. And that can cause some tension and cause some, some rifts. Um, but then when one is, you know, let's say Jack and Jill, we, we name and Jill doesn't want to do it, then it would just fall on Jack. Okay. 
Now you're, you're bringing up a good question or a good point here. You don't just because you're named as the executor don't mean you have to serve as the executor. No, is that correct? No, no. There's nothing that that's requiring you to do so that. So just like a you can disclaim an inheritance, you can disclaim this job. Probably the wrong term is disclaiming, but no, it, it, that's that's what that we. Right yep. See, I could be an attorney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I originally had a question, but it didn't apply to the state of Iowa. So I'm going to kind of flip it around to the, okay. to what we can do in the state of Iowa. So. Um, let's say I have a client who owns a house outright. Uh -huh. um, she does not want the house to be part of her estate when she passes away. So in the state of Iowa, what can a person do to basically give the house to the kids now? Okay. Um, is it something as simple as filing a quit claim deed? Or how would they go about doing that? First of all, I wouldn't advise okay. that. Um, is it because of liability that might be imposed upon the two children who would inherit the house? Or how would that work? For the purposes of the five-year look-back period gotcha. and losing all control over the asset while she's living. Okay. Um, and then whoever you gift it to doesn't get a stepped-up basis. They would get, you know, your basis versus mm -hmm. if they inherited it either through a will or a trust, then upon your death, at least for now, for now who knows what's yeah. going to happen, yeah. you would get the stepped-up basis. So... You know, depending on how long you've owned the home, that could be a big, a big deal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I, I wouldn't, I, I don't recommend that okay. to happen very often. Good. Um, I'm going to circle back again and talk sure. about the gifting real quick here. Okay. Um, the, the law says basically you can gift up to $15,000 per person to as many people as you want to. But some people are under the misconception that you can't give more than that in a single given year. You can but there's a form they have to fill out with the IRS that goes against their lifetime um, gifting. Yeah, I, I would defer to the tax guy. Yeah, with, yeah, with that. It, 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 it starts eating into your um, <coughs> lifetime your exemption. Lifetime exemption, okay. and it would be a gift tax return. And I, you know, I'm digging back in the recesses of time, but I think it's Form 706. Okay. And I don't think it's that complicated to do, but you know, it's not something that people are familiar with, like a 1040. So you probably would get professional help to do that. Absolutely. So you did it right. But yeah, you're going on record with the IRS that, hey, I have started to eat into my lifetime exclusion. Whereas Bye. the $15,000 does not eat into the lifetime exclusion. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Mio, is there anything else you would like to say about elder law, care, uh, yeah, process of it? I mean, I'll, I'll circle back to kind of uh, the main areas that I, I've been doing as of late, and that's the Medicaid planning. <clears throat> and there's two different scenarios where that comes up. The first, and I may have already touched it, but I'll expand a little bit more. The first is what I call crisis planning. Uh, husband is in the nursing home already and just paying, uh, you know, paying privately for the nursing home stay. Wife comes in or wife and child, you know, how can we, how can we do that? So I, I do a lot of planning to structure their assets, um, help them with the spend down because if you to qualify for Medicaid, you can only have $2,000 worth of assets um, to determine, uh, you know, help them with the spend downs, how to spend it down to that level. Also to determine if their income is too high, you know, there are things that we can do uh, in forms of different trusts to do something with that excess income to, to qualify them for that limit. There are also things that that the spouse that's not in the nursing home 
can sometimes pull income to get their income up to, it's called the minimum needs allowance, minimum monthly needs allowance for the spouse that's not in the nursing home. So working with them through the intricate rules of, of Medicaid and who's administered by DHS here in Iowa, and, and, you know, with the sole purpose of getting them qualified as soon as possible. So that's crisis planning. That that happens, an immediate need. We need to get them. Uh, we need to get them uh, eligible at the first of next month because it's it's a monthly uh, monthly process, you know. And I will work with them with the uh, with the Medicaid application. Uh, you know, it is pretty cumbersome as far as documentation. You know, work with them through that and structuring it properly. So that's crisis planning. And then there's the proactive, where they don't need it right now, but they're anticipating, you know, at some time in the future, how can we structure our assets to, to protect them from, from Medicaid? Gotcha. How does everybody reach you again? Uh, phone numbers 319-753-6201, uh, www.causelawllc.com. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks Much for having me. Day. I'm looking forward to hearing my voice times two speed on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, as usual, my heartfelt thanks goes out to all of you for listening today. Uh, special thanks to Joe Jolin, Todd Slatke, and Mio Santiago for joining me today and providing their amazing feedback and information. Um, we want to hear from you, so please reach out to me by either giving me a call at 319-576-2264 or visiting our website at www.greatriverinvestments.com. Go to the contact section, contact us section of the site, and I or a member of my team may be in touch with you shortly to discuss our next steps together. Thank you again for listening to the Marvin Knows Finances show. This has been Marvin Thompson, your certified financial planner. Have a great day.